five years into tiny house living, what has broken and what has changed in the tiny house? How are those appliances, how are those decisions standing the test of time and withstanding the frigid, cold Vermont winters? Welcome to the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast, the show where you learn how to plan, build, and live the tiny lifestyle. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and this is episode 46. And I have been putting this off for a long time. We're coming up on almost an entire year of the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast, and I have never done a solo episode. Now, what do I mean by solo episode? I just mean that there is no guest. It's just me, Ethan, talking to you for the entire episode. Don't get me wrong. I have tons of ideas for solo episodes, and I've done lots of solo episode-like things. I mean, every month I've run a tiny house webinar where I teach for 45 minutes and answer questions, but... I've never done it in podcast form, and I'm a little nervous, so bear with me, but I think it's going to be a good show today. Today, for the first solo episode, my idea is to do a review. Five years into tiny house living, what has broken and what has changed in the tiny house? Because when your appliances and everything are brand new, it's easy to say, yeah, this this appliance, this stove is working great. But what about after five years, we're coming, we're into our sixth winter at the time of recording. How are those appliances, how are those decisions standing the test of time and withstanding the frigid, cold Vermont winters that they experience in my tiny house's current location? All right, so let's jump in. The very first appliance that I changed out in the tiny house was my heater. The very first appliance that I bought for my tiny house was the Dickinson Newport propane heater. And Dickinson is a company that makes appliances for sailboats. And I had seen this heater in many of the early tumbleweed tiny houses. And I just fell in love with it. It is a stainless steel box with a little glass viewing window so you can see the flames. It's really nicely designed, really sturdy, and I just knew that that was the heater that I wanted in my tiny house. And I talk about this in my webinar as an example of how not doing enough research about your appliances can cause you a lot of problems later. Because I knew that this heater had some limitations, but I didn't really care to think about them. I just knew that I wanted it because of the aesthetics. The main problem with the Dickinson Newport heaters is that they don't have a thermostat. So there are two settings, high and low, and the way that you light the heater is you actually just turn on the gas and you use a match or a lighter, or in my case, I got a little tool that's meant for welding, a little spark tool, and that's how you lit this thing. And then it would either be on high or on low. And as soon as I started actually living in the tiny house, I knew that this was a big problem because if I left it on all the time, the house would get too hot eventually. And if I shut it off, the house would quickly get very cold. 
So this heater really wasn't suited for full-time tiny house living, particularly not in Vermont, because I needed to be able to leave my house for several hours at a time or even days at a time and have it stay at a consistent temperature. And this Dickinson Newport heater wasn't able to really provide that for me. Now, I might have just kind of powered through and and lived with it, but there was another problem that I was having with the heater, and that was that it was not burning cleanly. So I was getting this soot buildup on the glass, and anybody who's used propane knows that that is an indication that propane is not getting enough combustion air, and so it's not combusting completely, and it's leaving this residue. Now, the way the Newport Dickinson works is that there is a small chimney pipe that has an even smaller pipe inside of it. And so the inner pipe is actually the exhaust, and then the outer pipe actually allows it to suck fresh air in from outside. That way it's not depleting your interior space of air. And I did install mine in accordance with the manual, which said that the chimney could either go straight up out the roof or, you know, these things are designed for boats. So straight up through the deck of your sailboat. Or in my case, I decided to make a 90 degree turn and go out the wall. And the reason I did this is that I did not want to puncture any unnecessary holes in my roof. You know, every hole in your roof requires flashing, uh, weather sealing, and is a potential place where water can get in later. So I didn't want to puncture my roof, and I did the 90-degree turn out the wall. And what was determined is that at this 90-degree bend, a hot spot was developing, which was then choking off the fresh air supply, so the stove was unable to get its fresh air. Luckily, Dickinson Marine is a small company, I spent a lot of time on the phone with them troubleshooting, and we did a lot of different things. Uh, I tried extending the exhaust away from where it vented on the outside, thinking that maybe it was getting sucked back in. I re-bent the chimney pipe several times to try to get the two pipes and the bend to be cleaner so that the inner pipe wasn't touching the outer pipe. I did all kinds of things, and finally... The company actually said, hey, there might be something wrong with this heater. Why don't you send it back to us and we will refurbish it? So at great expense, I shipped this thing back to British Columbia, where this company is, and they refurbished it, checked everything, tested everything, sent it back to me. I reinstalled it. And lo and behold, I had the exact same problem again. So... With a heavy heart, I decided to give up on the Dickinson stove, both because it didn't have the thermostat that I needed and also because it was building up soot when I ran it, which was dangerous from a fire perspective. It looked ugly, and uh, they advised me that if I continued running it and filling it up with soot, it would need to get cleaned out by them again after a couple of months due to the buildup. So for the rest of that first winter, I actually used an electric heater to heat the tiny house, which worked okay, but was very expensive. I was spending over $200 a month in electricity to heat my 220 square foot tiny house. 
But I didn't want to deal with installing a new heater in the middle of winter. I decided to just continue on. And then in the spring, I started looking at new options. And what I realized is I was very limited. Not in my choices. There are lots of nice, small, uh, direct vent propane heaters. But because I had built in my couch and my kitchen, and I had a very specific place where this heater needed to go in my cabin, I was limited to the heaters that would actually fit in that space. All heaters require something called clearances, which is the amount of space between the appliance and other combustible surfaces like walls, couches, curtains, windows, etc. And so I was limited to appliances that would fit within the already defined kind of space that I had made for this original heater. So while I would have liked to have used one of the really nice Hampton brand uh, propane wood stoves, it's kind of a nice cast iron stove that that has a you know a, a gas element in it and the whole metal box heats up that wasn't going to fit in my space. So I ended up with a wall-mounted direct vent Williams propane heater. And um, to install it, I had to cut a new chimney hole in the wall at a different height, uh, which is always a bummer to have to put another big hole in your tiny house. Luckily, the gas plumbing worked just fine. And this heater is actually ideal for me because it is old technology. It's called millivolt. And so it does not require any electricity to run. Uh, the thermostat just turns itself on and off. There's no blower in the heater, so it's silent. And where I am parked, I experience frequent power outages. And now this heater will just run right through the power outage, continuing to heat my house as long as I don't run out of propane. So in summary, the first change that I made was going from the Dickinson Newport heater to the Williams direct vent propane heater. And I will link to the exact uh, makes and models of all these appliances on the show notes page at thetinyhouse.net slash 046. When I was building my tiny house, I didn't know where I was going to park it. And so I knew that I wanted the house to be able to be off-grid if possible. I didn't have it in my budget to add the solar panels and inverter and batteries right up front, but I wanted to make sure that the house was kind of ready for that. So for me, that meant minimizing the amount of electrical appliances that I had in the house and maximizing the number of propane appliances because appliances that run on propane often use little or no electricity. And so that's why I had so many propane appliances to begin with. And so the first change was going from that Dickinson Newport to the Williams heater. The second change I made was going from a Norcold propane fridge to an electric fridge. Now, if you see early pictures of my tiny house, you will notice two long white vents in the wall, one above the other. And this is actually the vent system for the propane refrigerator. Now, I'm not going to get into the thermodynamics because I don't totally understand it, but essentially a propane refrigerator creates cold inside of your fridge by producing heat behind it. 
And so it burns propane that heats up coolant that then is able to cool down the fridge. It works in a similar way as a heat pump. And so because the propane fridge is going to be releasing carbon monoxide, which is what gets released when you burn propane, it needs to be vented. And the propane fridges that are designed for RVs, which is what I went with, is designed to be installed in a cabinet, a very specifically sized cabinet enclosure with these two vents out the back so that the carbon monoxide is able to flow out of the cabin rather than into it. So I installed this propane fridge. It was it was somewhat of a difficult installation just making sure that this cabinet was the exact right size and the vents were in the right place. And off I went. The, the fridge worked fine, especially in the summer. And then as winter came around and temperatures started getting cold, I noticed a couple of things. I noticed right away that the floor below the fridge was absolutely freezing because I had these two essentially holes in my tiny house behind this fridge that were letting in cold air. And, you know, at first it wasn't that bad. And then you get into the middle of winter and it's negative 10 or negative 20 degrees. And you can really feel this air leaking in around the fridge. And it is cold. Now, I could have lived with that. But what really was a deal breaker for me is that it got so cold that the fridge actually stopped working. Sometimes it would freeze up entirely. And if anybody's ever had their fridge freeze, you know that any carbonated beverages get ruined, uh, beers can explode, your eggs crack. It's, it's really, it stinks. And so this happened a few times that first winter, and I knew that the propane fridge really just wasn't for me. This was a RV appliance, which really is designed for use in the summer, in warm temperatures. These things are not designed for very cold temperatures. And clearly the way that it had to be installed in the tiny house was also not ideal for cold, just because of all that cold air that was allowed to leak in. So the next change I made in my tiny house after changing out the heater was taking out that propane fridge and re-insulating, closing up those vent holes, and just getting a small, efficient electric refrigerator that I put in its place. Now, this did make my electricity bill go up ever so slightly, but the spot that I have been renting for my tiny house ever since I finished building it has electricity. So I am not off-grid, and I don't need to be off-grid. And so adding a small electric refrigerator wasn't a problem for me from an electricity perspective. And additionally, I know plenty of tiny housers who use solar power and have an electric fridge. You know, a refrigerator isn't impossible to run on solar power as it is. So this was an easy change to make, and it really improved the heatability of my tiny house in the winter, um, not having those giant vent holes behind the fridge just leaking in cold air. And this small electric fridge has just hummed along uh, without any issues or problems since I installed it four years ago. Okay, so those were two things that I changed, the heater and the fridge. Let's talk about something that actually broke and then needed to get replaced. And that is my Precision Temp hot water heater. 
You see the precision temp all over the tiny house movement. It's probably the most popular on-demand propane hot water heater out there. It is pricey because it's one of the higher quality, kind of fancier models. I believe they cost around $1,200 now. And I was one of the early adopters of this hot water heater. They actually hadn't released the model when I first talked to the company about buying one. And apparently I got one of the first units. What is different about this on-demand hot water heater is that it does not require a hole in the side of your tiny house. Many on-demand hot water heaters that are designed for RVs install through a hole in the side, and so that way they can be serviced from the outside. In a tiny house, however, because you want to live in it in the winter, having giant holes in your walls is not helpful. And so the precision temp allows you to vent your on-demand hot water heater through the floor. An on-demand hot water heater is nothing more than a big coil of copper piping with a propane burner and some electronics. And basically, as the water flows through that coil of copper pipe, it's heated by the propane as you use it. And the precision temp model is mounted over its own vent hole. And so it needs to be able to keep itself warm. Because as you know, when a copper pipe freezes with water in it, the copper pipe will burst. And so the precision temp hot water heater has a frost protection feature where it will sense the temperature in the pipe and every half hour or hour or however often it needs to, it will turn on the burner to warm up the water and prevent itself from freezing up. Now that's all well and good. However, you need to have a constant supply of both electricity and propane to the unit for this feature to work. This posed a few problems for me because... My tiny house is parked somewhere on grid, but it is somewhere where there are frequent power outages. It's a fairly rural, uh, high mountain valley, I guess you could call it. And there are storms that come and blow down trees, and it's not uncommon for us to lose power. So that was a problem for my precision temp hot water heater. Also, not running out of propane became a bit of an issue. My first winter in the house, I was running off of the, you know, gas grill-sized 20-pound propane tanks. But with heating my house, refrigeration, and hot water, I was going through these tanks quickly, like emptying one each week. And I had several of them, but I was just constantly running to the hardware store to get them refilled. And so my second winter, I actually contracted with a company to come and deliver propane, you know, from a truck into 200 pound tanks that I bought. And everything worked fine for several winters, though it was a big pain in the butt just having to monitor when there was a power outage and worry about my hot water heater. I did rig up a battery backup system for it, but the battery backup definitely couldn't last more than a few hours, and at which point the hot water heater would be at risk of freezing again. It was probably one of the most stressful things about my tiny house, and I really, I always had to think about the tiny house, even if I was away traveling. 
I had a temperature monitor system. I had alerts from the power company set up in case there was a power outage. And if there was an outage, I was calling my neighbors or calling my parents or friends saying, hey, could you go over to the tiny house? Could you make sure, uh, could you set the faucet to drip? Could you make sure that the, the hot water heater is okay? It was bad. And I probably would have limped along like this forever, except that on New Year's Day of 2018, so just over a year ago, we were having one of those polar vortexes, and my propane company had been short-staffed, and they had missed several deliveries in the month of December, not totally known to me. But on New Year's Day, it was negative 20 degrees, and the house ran out of propane. And so what happened was, obviously, the hot water heater was not able to keep itself warm, and it froze solid. My heater was no longer producing heat for the house, so the house got down to about 20 degrees inside. All my pipes froze. And luckily, all my plumbing or most of my plumbing was PEX, and so that was not damaged. But the hot water heater itself sustained quite a bit of damage. There were several bursts in the copper piping inside, and it was definitely not working anymore. Luckily, it was frozen solid. Otherwise, water might have continued pouring out of it and flooding my tiny house. So once this unit broke, I was faced with a couple of different choices. I could send it back to Precision Temp and have it repaired or potentially need to replace it for $1,200, which would have just put me right back in the same situation dealing with needing to keep propane and electricity flowing at all times, uh, worrying about it all the time, or I could go a different route. And if you're sensing a pattern here, I've been replacing propane appliances with electric ones, and I made that same choice for the hot water heater. So rather than using an on-demand hot water heater, which, to be honest, was quite luxurious and nice, I decided to switch to a small electric tank-based hot water heater. I got the idea for this originally from Chris and Melissa Tack. Their house uses a 7-gallon Bosch electric hot water heater, which they are able to run off of their solar panels. And in their review of it, they said that it heats the water up quickly, it's enough for one shower, and then it takes about half hour to recover, and that they've been very happy with it. And so I ordered one of these Bosch hot water heaters from Amazon for under $200, which in my calculations, was less than the cost of repairing the precision temp, certainly less than the cost of buying a new precision temp, and I installed it in my tiny house. Of course, there are some downsides to an electric-based hot water heater. Of course, it uses electricity, and because it is a tank-based hot water heater, it's keeping that seven gallons of water hot all the time. But this hot water heater is pretty efficient, Seven gallons isn't that much. I've really only seen a maybe five to ten dollar per month increase on my electricity bill. So I do know that I'm gonna pay more over time. But this new hot water heater has really taken away some of the headaches that I was experiencing with the old one. Now it's way less crucial 
for my house to have that constant flow of electricity and propane. I mean, it's important, but I'm not risking losing a $1,200 appliance every time there's a power outage. And it is enough for one shower. I did replace my shower head with a low-flow, efficient shower head. And things are working very well. So that was my third change, going from the precision temp, on-demand propane hot water heater to the Bosch electric tank-based hot water heater. And again, I will link to all these appliances in the show notes at thetinyhouse.net slash 046. So the last major change that I made in my tiny house is yet another propane-related change. And that is when I built the house, I installed a propane leak detection system that has a solenoid valve at the propane tanks. This type of system is not required for an RV, but it is required for a boat. And it it consists of two different components. The first is a small detector inside the cabin that can be mounted into the wall. And the second is a solenoid valve between the propane tanks and the rest of the system. And what this detector does is obviously detects propane and carbon monoxide and sounds an alarm, much like a smoke detector, but for propane and carbon monoxide. But also, if it were to detect propane or carbon monoxide, it is able to shut the gas off to the house, which is what you would want. If you had a propane leak in the house, you would want it to get detected and then the propane to get automatically shut off before the house filled up with propane. And this system made me feel safe in the house. Uh, I enjoyed having it, and notice that I'm speaking in the past tense. But this system really complicated things for me. And if you've been paying attention to this episode, it complicated both my heater and my hot water heater. And so here's the situation. In the event of a power outage the propane detector would fail closed, meaning that constant electricity supply is what was keeping the solenoid valve open. As soon as there was a power outage, the valve would slam shut and propane would be cut off to my house. The problem here being that, first of all, my house's heater is able to continue working without electricity, but not without propane. So I would get a power outage, and even though, in theory, my heater could just keep on trucking through that power outage, it would lose propane. Worst of all, the heater that I have has a pilot light that is lit manually. So when the power would go out, the propane would go out, and then my heater pilot light would go out, and when the power came back and the propane started flowing again, the house's heater wouldn't start again because the pilot light would be out and I would need to return to the tiny house as soon as possible after a power outage to relight that pilot. And I mentioned calling family and friends when I was away, and that's why, because there'd be a power outage and then I'd be kind of holding my breath, checking the temperature sensor to make sure that the heater was working. And if I saw the temperature declining, then I knew that my battery backup had failed and that I needed somebody to go over 
and light the pilot light again. As you can see, this was a total pain in the butt. And so by removing that propane detector solenoid valve combo, I have alleviated a lot of problems. And I have replaced that system with a propane carbon monoxide detector that simply will alarm when it detects propane or carbon monoxide. There's no solenoid valve. It can't shut the tanks off. But if I were in the house and there was a propane leak or carbon monoxide, the alarm would go off and I'd be able to leave the house. So I am trading a little bit of additional safety, but I am trading it for a lot of convenience and also a lot less potential for my house to get damaged by a power outage. So in review, the four things that have broken or changed in my tiny house were first, switching from the Newport Dickinson heater to a Williams direct vent propane heater, changing my refrigerator from a Norcold propane refrigerator over to an electric refrigerator, changing my hot water heater from the precision temp over to an electric tank-based hot water heater made by Bosch, and finally removing the propane leak detection with the solenoid valve in favor of just simple propane and carbon monoxide detector with no valve. I hope you enjoyed this first solo episode of the Tiny House Lifestyle podcast. I have lots of ideas for future episodes, but if you have questions or ideas for episodes that you want me to address in the future, send them to podcast at thetinyhouse.net. I love hearing from listeners, and I love your ideas and feedback, so keep them coming. And if you need help making the decisions for your unique tiny house, I want to recommend my comprehensive resource called Tiny House Decisions. Tiny House Decisions is the guide that I wish I had when I built my tiny house, and it comes in three unique packages for any budget. To learn more and receive 20% off your order of any package, go to thetinyhouse.net slash THD and use the code TINY for 20% off at checkout. Again, that's Tiny House Decisions at thetinyhouse.net slash THD, coupon code TINY. Remember, you can find all the notes and links to everything I've mentioned in today's episode at thetinyhouse.net slash 046. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash 046. Well, that's all for this week. I'm Ethan Waldman, and I'll be back next week with another episode of the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast.